0: Om Parthaya Pratibhadhitam Bhagavatam Narayana Swayam Vyasena Gratitam Purana Munina Madhyemahabharatam Advaitha Vrta Varshanim Bhagavatim Ashtadashadhyayinim Ambatvamanusandhadhami-bhagavat-gīte-bhavadveshinim Yam brahma-varunendra-rudra-marutah stunvanti divya Vedai-sangapadakramo-paniśadaihi Gayanti yamsamaga Dhyana vasthida tadgate na manasa Pashyanti yayoginaha Yasyantana vidusura Deva yatasmain namaha Shankarachary explained here that the prayojanam, the very purpose of Bhagavad Gita is param nishrayasam, param nishrayasam the ultimate good that the human being is seeking seeking, and to enable the human being to attain the ultimate good is the purpose of the teaching of Bhagavad Gita not anything less than that, not just to win a battle or not to gain some material and the material prosperity But to gain the ultimate end, ultimate good that a human being is seeking, to enable him to attain that is the purpose of this knowledge. (coughs) And how can that be attained? That can be attained by elimination of what you call samsara. Samsara meaning the grief or the suffering. The total cessation of the suffering along with its cause. And what's the cause? Ignorance. So it will be shown here how it is ignorance of the self, which is ignorance in general, is what causes all kinds of complexes, conclusions, judgments, and they become the very cause for all the grief in life. And therefore to eliminate grief, which is a common human problem, and as we say that grief should be eliminated along with the cause. Because if the cause does not go, then the effect will return. As in the deep sleep, we do become free from all the grief, but as again when we wake up, again we start grieving because the cause namely the ignorance continues to remain. So what is necessary is to remove that grief along with the cause. What's the cause? Ignorance. And what can remove that cause? The knowledge. Therefore to impart the knowledge. Knowledge of what? Atma dharmat. That knowledge of the nature of Abidance in the true self. At the moment, where do I abide? I abide in the self which I I consider to be body. So I think that the body is myself. The mind is myself. The ego is myself. And that is where, at the moment, I abide. Meaning, that is where my I notion is. But to gain the true nature of the self, which is ever free, which is immortal, which is beyond death, which cannot be hurt, which cannot be killed. It is that is the true nature of myself and to abide in the in the knowledge of that self is the means of elimination of ignorance and all the grief and suffering caused by ignorance. And this is how Bhagavad Gita seeks to resolve the fundamental problem of life. <clears throat> and one more qualification I was added, Sarvakarmasanyas Purvakat that this knowledge has to be preceded by and accompanied with what we call Sarva Karma Sannyasa. A renunciation of all the karma, renunciation of all the engagements, renunciation of all the engagements is required. Then alone the mind has that poise or the mind is relaxed. So what we seek is a relaxation of the mind or a poise of the mind where the mind is free from all its demands and needs and preoccupations. This is what is called sannyasa or renunciation. That is the spirit of renunciation. Outwardly renunciation is renunciation of all the actions, all the duties, all the ties. Let us say renunciation of all the setup. Let a sannyasa or a renunciate is no more a part of any setup. So family is a setup. And whenever I am a part of a setup, then the setup is going to have its own demands. That there are parents, that there is family, the wife, children, relatives, friends. And there is always going to be ties and demands from all these sources. And therefore, I can never find myself free. So I mean how long should I do this? My mother is there, father is there, son is there, nephew is there, this is there. And there is always a demand. So as long as you are a part of the setup, you are drawing a nourishment and, and a security from the setup. And accordingly, a setup also has its own demands upon you. So basically renunciation is becoming free from any setup. Except adopting one setup, and that is the setup of the teacher and the student. That is a desired setup. So giving up that setup of the family, or the society, and then coming to the setup of what we call the teacher and the student. So becoming a student or disciple sitting at the feet of the teacher, this is a setup that is accepted, wherein there is no responsibility other than the pursuit of knowledge and whatever is required for the pursuit of knowledge. Thus a freedom, a leisure. This is what the mind needs, a leisure to be able to apply itself to the pursuit of knowledge. And this is what is the spirit of or renunciation. So Shankaracharya says that is necessary. In order that we can really commit ourselves to the pursuit of the knowledge or you can gain an abidance in the knowledge and various quotations are given here in support because this is a radical thing those days when Shankaracharya was writing these commentaries the the general uh, emphasis was on action on karma on rituals it was thought that by rituals you attain the ultimate goal of your life and we will have a chance to discuss that. And therefore Shankaracharya had to bring uh, bring this into light. That the problem is not the attainment of something that you don't have. The problem in life is attainment of the already attained or the accomplishment of the already accomplished. That the moksha or the freedom or liberation is already accomplished. You don't have to create freedom. It is the nature of the self. And therefore you have to know it and you have to own it up. So knowledge is the solution to the problem of bondage and not rituals or not action. And throughout Gita, at, on every occasion that is possible, Shankaraja takes up this theme for discussion and shows how it is knowledge. And when you say knowledge, knowledge is the self. Which self? Self that is free. So if you want to know the self which is free, then you also must be relatively free, free from all your ties and therefore Becoming free from the tie at the uh, at the level of our transaction, the level of our day-to-day transaction, which is what we call a certain lifestyle, called the renunciation, that also then becomes a, a helpful means. <coughs> if that is so, then what is the scope of the action? Because Bhagavad Gita talks also throughout about action, and more than more than one places, Lord Krishna asks Arjuna to perform action. Your duty is to perform action. Therefore, Arjuna, therefore may you fight. Therefore, you also perform the action. So again and again, Lord Krishna tells Arjuna to perform action. Perform his duty. If, as you say, knowledge alone is a means for liberation, then why is such an amount of emphasis given on duty? Why is such an amount of emphasis given on performance of action? In fact, action is something that binds me. Because action creates a reaction. And that sets up a chain of the whole action and reaction. So our usual experience is, whenever we get involved in an action, it is always an involving thing. We find ourselves more and more getting involved in that. It becomes very difficult to extricate ourselves. So these questions will be raised also in Gita. That action is, is something that causes bondage. Because when you perform an action, then the result will definitely come because action must produce a result. And who should experience the result? The one who performs the action must also experience the result. And when I experience the result, in that process I perform another action, which produces another result. And thus, usually, action sets up a chain of action, reaction, and likes and dislikes and whatever. And thus, usually, a person gets more and more involved. Then why does Lord Krishna keeps on emphasizing that Arjuna should perform action meaning he should perform his duty. There, Shankaracharya has this to say, not only Bhagavad Gita, Vedas also, as we said, has basically two sections. First is the section dealing with rituals called Karma Kanda, and second is section dealing with knowledge. So what is the use of that whole voluminous section dealing with Karma or rituals? Is it all totally useless as far as does it have any role at all to play as far as the life of a spiritual seeker is concerned? Yes, it has a role to play because the ultimate aim that the Vedas also are presenting before us is moksha, of the liberation. And therefore, definitely those rituals or karma or action or duties have to play a role. And what is that? Shankaracharya explains briefly here. Abhyo sahapi api eva dharma. Varana ashramāñca uddiśya bhītah sah devādiṣṭhāna prapti hedhu The pravṛtti lakṣṇo dharma That dharma or the way of life pravṛtti lakshana, of the nature of pravṛtti or activity <coughs> Varna ashramāñca uddiśya bhītah These activities are the duties which are enjoined for all the people depending upon their Varna and ashrama depending upon the caste they belong to or meaning the disposition of their mind and the stage of life in which they are. Depending upon that, the duties are enjoined and various rituals are also recommended. And what's the purpose of those rituals and actions? Abhivadayartha. Basically, they bring about what we call material prosperity. Sadevaadisthanapraptahetuhapi And if you perform those rituals sincerely according to the stipulations, then you can achieve variety of ends you can even attain heavens you can even become a god in heaven so you can attain that kind of a thing with the with the various rituals and actions so that is the usual purpose of action but then that the very same action which becomes a means for attainment of a material gain can also become the means for attainment of a spiritual gain one action that can generally become a means for attainment of a material Achievement can also become a means for spiritual achievement. The very same action, and what would what would transform that action? There is this Ishvara Arvudhya Anusthiaman. When that very same action, if performed with the desire to attain a certain material end, then that action will become the means of attainment of that material end. But when that very same action is performed with the attitude of Isvara Buddhi or when it is performed as an offering to the Lord. So whatever actions you are performing are performed as an offering to the Lord and not directed at achievement of a specific material end. Sattva Shuddhai Bhavati Then that very action becomes the means of Sattva Shuddhi or purification of the mind. It's not so much the action but the attitude behind the action. If the attitude behind the action is one of offering, our mind is greedy and therefore it always calculates what will be the gain through every action. In which case, the action will produce that gain. Calculating mind. So it is going to require a complete transformation of our outlook towards life. That life and the opportunities of life are not for accumulating and for our personal wealth, wealth gain. But the opportunities of life and the various skills and abilities that God has given us are meant for offering. Our life is looked upon as a life of offering, of serving. In which case perhaps you may be deprived of the material gains to some extent, but definitely you will gain sattva shuddhi, Antahakana shuddhi is what we call a inner spiritual gain will definitely result. Hala sandhi varjitaha action performed, with a spirit of offering. And you can offer anything to the Lord. That's the nice thing about Him. As you will say in 9th chapter, Patram Pushpam Phalam Toyam. Swami, what can I do? I am just a carpenter. Or I am a janitor. Or I am this and this. I don't perform a very exalted action. No, every action is as dignified as any other action. So Lord Krishna says, It does not matter to me what you offer. Patram toyam. Whether you offer me a leaf or a flower or a fruit or a little water, you may bhaktia Prayachari. So this is symbolic. A leaf or a flower or water or a fruit or a sugar crystal that you generally offer the Lord is a symbolic thing. meaning any little thing that you offer in your life, any little action that you perform, whatever kind of action you perform, you may bhaktia as long as that offering is done with devotion. So, what is important is the devotion with which the offering is made and not the nature of offering. Thus, the devotion with which you perform the action is important and not what action we perform. So, phala sandhi Without any calculation of what reward I will get, action is performed not with the specific aim of getting a reward, but action is performed as an offering to the Lord, then that action becomes a means for purification of mind. All right. Then what? Shuddha-sattvasya jnana nishreya And thus that very same action which normally would have been binding me if that action was performed with the purpose of material gains which would have been binding me further that action becomes now a means of releasing me when performed as an offering to the Lord without the expectation of a reward. Meaning, when I am ready to accept whatever reward comes as gift of God, that action should the sattvasya, by way of imparting me a purification of mind, meaning by way of removing from my mind the various impurities in terms of greed and selfishness and likes and dislikes and whatever, Dnanistha Yogyata Prapti Dwarena It it makes a person what? Dnyanishtha yogya makes a person fit for jnanistha an abiding knowledge. So what we call purification of mind is nothing but an abiding mind. A mind that is essentially free from various conflicts, feelings of guilt and hurt and whatnot. So mind which enjoys certain composure. This is what we call a pure mind and it is that mind which is a fit instrument to gain this knowledge and thus this karma or the action when performed in this manner becomes a means for elimination of impurities from my mind prepares my mind for the knowledge because then it becomes a contemplative mind which mind is what we need for pursuit of this knowledge and ultimately to gain an abundance in the knowledge and thus that action also becomes a means for the arising of the knowledge and therefore even karma of the action also becomes a cause for ultimate good so it will be shown by Shankaracharya that the teaching of Bhagavad Gita by Lord Krishna here is to make both the whole life, as, make the whole life of activity also as a means for nishresa or ultimate good. So this is not merely a monastic religion, this is also a religion of the people who are active. So Bhagavad Gita teaches us how to convert our life into a life of spiritual pursuit without changing the mode of life by a different outlook and by a different uh, uh, attitude towards what we are doing our life all the mundane actions that we perform all of them get transformed as means for our spiritual development for inner growth and purification and thus both the life of activity and the life of renunciation both of them are then the means for moksha first the life of activity which prepares one for renunciation and that life of renunciation uh, which is then uh, becomes a fit basis for the pursuit of knowledge and ultimately the attainment of ultimate goal. So two stages, life of activity and life of renunciation. First step, second step and knowledge and the liberation. This is how the Bhagavad Gita, this is how Shankaracharya looks upon the teaching of Bhagavad Gita by Lord Krishna. <coughs> Well, do you have uh, some support for your view about Bhagavad Gita? Shankarayara says, Trasacha Imam Eva Sam Avisandhaya Vakshade. Keeping this very same artha, very same purpose in mind, Lord Krishna will say subsequently. In the fifth chapter, for example, Brahmanyadhaya Karmani, Sangam Tekva Karodhyaha, Lippyate Nasapapina, Padma Patram Vivambasa. Lord Krishna says that that when a seeker performs action as offering them to the Lord, sangam Tattva, and giving up the attachment for the results. So when a person performs action as an offering to the Lord, giving up the attachment for the result, lipyate sapapena, then he doesn't get tainted by the papa, meaning by likes and dislikes, or the negative result, the effects that a result can produce. padma patra just as a lotus leaf does not get wetted even though it is in the midst of water and so also this yogi in spite of performing actions being in the midst of activity doesn't get tainted by the actions meaning actions do not cause any reaction in him normally when we perform an action a reaction is generally created either I may not like the action I may have to perform the action against my desire or I am not satisfied with the result or I may feel that the result is wrong. And thus, action constantly creates in many different reactions. In general, a lot of sometimes resentment, sometimes conflict, sometimes likes, sometimes dislikes, sometimes attachment. All these different reactions are created when I am performing action normally. But these reactions will not be created when action is performed as an offering to the Lord without attachment to the result. So one remains untainted by the reactions, just as a lotus leaf remains untainted in the midst of water. Yogi na karma kuruvandi sangam tektva atma Same chapter. Kaya na manasa buddhya kevali rindi karma sangam tektva atma shuddhae. These yogis, the karma yogis perform the actions, sangam tektva, giving up the attachment for the result, atma shuddhae for the purification of the mind. In short, Lord Krishna is going to present action as a means for purification of the mind. Therefore, when Lord Krishna instructs Arjuna to perform his duty, what is the purpose? So that the purification of mind can be attained. And thus, Lord Krishna is not interested so much in action. What he is interested in is for internal growth, internal maturity, which is what we call purification of mind and action is the only proper means for that purification of mind therefore we are told if you give up the action then the only means available to us for purifying the mind that doesn't remain with us and therefore we are therefore Arjuna is being told to perform his duty imam dviprakaram dviprakaram dharmam nishresa prayojanam paramar satatvam param brahma well because the fifth chapter again says sanyasas tu mahabaho ayogataha that sannyasa or renunciation is extremely difficult unless one has gone through the discipline of karma yoga so unless one has prepared oneself by performance of action and thus develop the art of remaining free from reaction in spite of performing action. This is the karma yoga. So what is karma yoga is? Performance of action while remaining free from reaction. What are the reactions? Likes, dislikes, attachment, elation, resentment, frustration, disappointment, failures. These are the various reactions that come when we perform action. Frustrations when the result is not produced as as we desire. A sense of failure when I think that I have failed. Or great elation when I think I have succeeded. Thus elation, depression, resentment, frustrations, conflicts, hurt, guilt. So these are the various reactions that the actions produce. So we suffer. Everybody suffers in life because... Our our life is full of actions but then actions constantly create these reactions and we just get exhausted. What is exhausting is not so much the physical strain, but what is exhausting is this tremendous mental struggle, that battle that is going on within and that is what exhausts us. So how to perform action remaining free from the reaction? This is the art of performing action, this is called Karma Yoga. this is what is uh, very much sought to be done. This is what Lord Krishna teaches us in Bhagavad Gita. And that is called the path of pravṛtti or the path of activity. When a person becomes prepared for nivritti or renunciation. So renunciation of action first requires that we must settle account with action. In general you must settle account with a thing before you, before you are ready to renounce it. And thus, we must learn how to perform action before we renounce the action. Because renunciation is when you are doing something. What's the, how, what can I renounce when I never I have never performed action? When I have never taken any responsibility? There is a the question of renouncing anything? Having taken the responsibility and having known what it is, and when I renounce, then that is called the renunciation. So generally speaking, first is the path of activity, and then is the path of renunciation imam dviprakaram dharmam this is the twofold dharma or the twofold lifestyle or the twofold pursuit of the uh, the goal nishreyasa prayojanam where the prayojan purpose is ultimate goal the idea is that when action also becomes a means for attainment of the ultimate good because action becomes a means for preparing me for the knowledge and knowledge is the means for nishreyasa of the ultimate good this is what Lord Krishna is going to teach us. These two lifestyles. The second chapter, the third chapter, essentially talks about the lifestyle involving activity. The fifth chapter, sixth chapter, will talk about lifestyle involving renunciation. And also Lord says, Yogi Yunjita, so, uh, says in the sixth chapter, Ārva-rukshor-mane-yogam karmakāraṇa-muchyade, yoga-arudasya Seva as long as one has not become yoga rudha, meaning one has not acquired that poise of mind one has not acquired that abiding mind or when one is not still not able to remain with oneself happily so long action is a means so action is a means of acquiring a mind that becomes abiding and having acquired that abiding or contemplative mind then renunciation of action is the next step. So Lord Krishna is going to expound in great detail and renunciation and that's not enough. Paramahasatattvam is also necessary ultimately what is the ultimate truth of life? Paramahasatattvam what is the ultimate reality? That also will be amply discussed in Bhagavad Gita. What is that? Vāsudevākhyam brahma So, param brahma Param is limitless Brahman that is limitless is Paramāshtatvam He is the absolute reality or the ultimate reality in life and this will be also expounded in Bhagavad Gita Vāsudevākhyam That very same param brahma or Paramātmā or the truth is called Vāsudevā so Interestingly enough Lord Krishna also is called Vāsudevā Vasudeva se apatyam puman Vasudeva. Hai. So the male child of Vasudeva is called Vasudeva. So name of the father of Lord Krishna was Vasudeva. Vasudeva sutam devam. So devatahu is Vasudeva sutah. The son of Vasudeva is called Vasudeva. <coughs> so Vasudeva is the name of Lord Krishna. But as they said in Tattva Buddha, etymologically Vasudeva also means the self of all. Vasu chasav devaha vasudevaha The word vasu is derived from the root vas. Vas means to dwell. So vasu means the one who dwells. And devaha, one who is self-effulgent. So one who dwells everywhere and one who is self-effulgent. One who dwells in the hearts of all beings as the very self and who is self fulfilled and self revealing so vasudeva is the self revealing consciousness which is the self of all or as we also said vasudeva is that in which the whole creation dwells so one who dwells in the whole creation is vasudeva or the one in whom the whole creation dwells also is called vasudeva and as much as he is a very substratum of the whole universe the cause of the creation which is brahman so the Vasudeva word has both these meanings. As the one who dwells in the hearts of all, he is a self. As one in whom the whole universe dwells, he is Brahman. So very one word expresses what? The the identity between Jiva and Brahman. So that is Paramahasatattvam. That is ultimate truth. Bhutam, That becomes the subject matter of Bhagavad Gita. So what is it that Bhagavad Gita... Uh, discusses what is, what is the content of the Bhagavad Gita to reveal the nature of this absolute reality which is also called Param Brahma which is Vasudeva which is the self of all which is the cause of creation and uh, which is indicated by this statement Tattvamasi. at the same time so Lord gives us here what we call the very truth of life which is called Brahma Vidya and also provides the way of life which is appropriate for attainment of that knowledge. So both the end as well as means. What is the end? Knowledge of Vasudeva, knowledge of the truth. And what is the means? A certain lifestyle. What lifestyle? The life of activity followed by the life of renunciation. Or life of renunciation preceded by life of activity. That becomes a means. That is called Yoga Shastra. Therefore, at the end of every chapter of Bhagavad Gita, we find that statement, this is a Srimad Bhagavad Gita su Upanishad su Brahma Vidyayam Yoga Shastre Shri Krishna Arjuna Samvade. That's this Bhagavad Gita, which is Samvada, or dialogue between Shri Krishna and Arjuna. And, which can be compared with the number of, which is also itself like an Upanishad, which is, Brahma Vidyaya, which gives us Brahma Vidya, a knowledge of Brahman, knowledge of Truth. Yoga Shastra, which also is a Yoga Shastra. Meaning, it also gives us the means for attainment of the Truth. Sometimes the goal may be stated, but if they don't tell you what is the path or the means leading to that goal, then that teaching remains, is incomplete. Somebody may tell you the path or the means, but not clarify the goals, that also is incomplete. And therefore Gita, very so specific or specifies both the end as well as means. Brahma Vidya is the end, Yoga Shastra is the means. <coughs> so, param brahma abhidheya bhūtam viśeśraha and thus, these two things are specifically clarified or specifically and clearly brought out by Bhagavad Gita. Vishishtha prayojana sammandh abhideyavad gita shastraṁ And thus, Gita Shastra possesses this text called Bhagavad Gita, which is Shastram, which is a scripture, possesses all those fundamental elements required for study, commencement of the study of a text. What is the first requirement? Vishaya. What is the subject matter? Param Brahman, the truth which is limitless, Vasudeva, there is subject matter. And subsequently, also the means for attainment of the knowledge which is Karma Yoga and sannyasa. That's the Vishaya or subject matter of Gita. What is the Prayajanam? What purpose does the knowledge serve? The knowledge by destroying, dispelling the ignorance. And therefore all the evils created by ignorance makes a person completely relieved, released from all the suffering and misery. Thus it is a means for the Prayajanam of the purposes Attainment of moksha or liberation. And what should you do to gain liberation Having after gaining the knowledge? Well, here the knowledge is a means and knowledge is the end also. <coughs> That's the sambandha. And who is the Ajikari? Who is the qualified student? The first chapter and the first nine verses of the second chapter will describe the very student who is Arjuna, the Ajikari. That's the fourth element. So all of these are present in Bhagavad Gita and therefore this is a scripture which must be studied by the seekers of knowledge. Yatah tad arthe vignate samasth purushartha siddhi, atah tad vivarane yatna kriyate maya. Yatah since tad arthe vignate when we know this truth of Bhagavad that is revealed by Bhagavad Gita, when it is known siddhi, then that knowledge amounts to the attainment of all the ends that the human being is seeking because that knowledge is the means for the ultimate end and therefore since by gaining the knowledge that is expounded in bhagavad-gita one fulfills then the total purpose of life and therefore this knowledge is the most important and absolutely necessary for every human being therefore yatnaha kriyate maya and therefore I am going to now make an attempt for explaining this Bhagavad Gita because when what the Bhagavad Gita reveals is properly known then it becomes a means for the ultimate gain in my life and therefore Shankarajaya says an effort is being made by me here to explain this purport of Bhagavad Gita <coughs> so this is how Shankaracharya introduces the Bhagavad Gita. First establishes that the teacher of Bhagavad Gita is the most competent teacher because he is none other than Lord the Creator Himself. Who had who took incarnation in the form of as as Lord Krishna and therefore is Narayana, his Paramatha, he is the one most qualified for this for imparting this knowledge. And ever, Gita is a Pramana-Grantha or an authoritative text. That was first established. And subsequently, it was established also why Bhagavad Gita was taught to Arjuna. Because he was a qualified student, a very capable capable student, and in dire need for, for for being released from the grief. Because he was grieving. He was drowning in the ocean of grief and therefore there was an urgency that this knowledge should be imparted to him and he was a qualified student, I mean a capable student, and therefore when the knowledge is given to the capable student, it, then it will also find its way to other the other seekers. That is why Arjuna was chosen as a, as a student here. <coughs> and then what is the subject matter, what is the prayajanam, all of these are discussed by Shankaracharya, thus giving us an overview of what to expect from Bhagavad Gita then the whole first chapter is called Arjuna-Vishada-Yoga. And there are as many as 47 verses in the first chapter, but Shankaracharya does not comment upon the first chapter. And does not even comment upon the first 10 verses of the second chapter. Shankaracharya starts his commentary from the eleventh verse of the second chapter. Why is it so? Because the forty-seven verses of the first chapter and the first ten verses of the second chapter, they basically give us a background. And therefore, what Shankaracharya does is, he explains briefly what this background is and then proceeds to start his commentary upon the, the Bhagavad Gita so what we will do is we'll just have an overview of what bhagavad gita what is the first chapter and the first 10 verses of second chapter of bhagavad gita what do they provide how they prepare the background for bhagavad gita we'll just take a overview it starts with bhagavad gita is a dialogue between lord krishna and arjuna of course but then This whole dialogue took place in the midst of a battlefield. I guess that everyone knows. This was a battle between Pandavas, the five brothers, and Kauravas, the hundred brothers, and the large armies. Pandavas had seven divisions, and Kauravas had eleven divisions. So this is how the big armies, hundreds of thousands of people were arrayed there. And, uh, this was a battle which, of course, the Pandavas tried to avoid and made all the efforts to avoid the battle but then Duryodhana who was the heir of the Kauravas, the eldest of them he refused to part with any share for the Pandavas, his cousins and he made it impossible for them I mean to to avoid the war and therefore this war or the battle which was found to be unavoidable ultimately had to take place and thus both the armies have come in the battlefield and This whole battle is reported by Sanjaya to Dhritarashtra. Dhritarashtra is the father of this Kauravas. This Duryodhana, the the enemy side, as far as the Pandavas. So Arjuna, if you are on the side of Arjuna and Lord Krishna, then the Kauravas are the enemies. And they are actually the rulers right now. And Dhritarashtra is the father of this Kauravas. He is only a ceremonial head. The real head of the uh, the kingdom is... is Duryodhana. But then, ceremonially speaking, this Dhritarashtra is a head. And he is born blind. Dhritarashtra is... is a king all right, but born blind. And therefore, he cannot himself witness what is happening in the battlefield. But he was very anxious to know what is happening in the battlefield, as everyone here in the United States is, you know. Today... We have this Divya Drishti, you know. We have this, this, this special celestial vision in the form of television. And we can sit here and watch, watch what is going on in the battlefield. But a similar arrangement was done at that time. This king Dhritarashtra, who was a blind king, and was very anxious to know what was going on in the battlefield, had a minister, and the name of the minister was Sanjaya. And this Sanjaya was a man of pure heart and great devotion. And therefore, Vedavyasa, a great sage, and also the author of this epic Mahabharata, he imparted to Sanjaya a special divine vision, clairvoyance, as you may say, say, the ability to see what is happening at a distance. And more than that, more than television, in television we can merely see what is happening, or hear what they are talking, perhaps, yes. But Arjuna, I mean, this Sanjaya also could know what is happening in the mind also, you know. But anyway, thus this Sanjaya had the ability here to see what was happening in the battlefield and to report these events in the battlefield to the king Dhritarashtra. So, Dhritarashtra, the blind king, and Sanjaya, the minister. You may say that it is a dialogue between them also. Except that the blind king asks one question, that's all. And the whole Bhagavad Gita is reply of the minister Sanjaya in reply to one question of the king Dhritarashtra. For whatever reason, Bhagavad Gita begins with the name Dhritarashtra, you know. I don't know why, but anyway. So, the first verse is Dhritarashtra, watcher. the king Dhritarashtra asked this question to his minister Sanjaya. Dharmakshetra, famous verse. Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra, Samaveta yutsavah, Mamaka of Pandavasya, Kimakurvata Sanjaya. Hey Sanjaya, in this Kurukshetra, the name of that battlefield was that, that theater, the theatre, the theatre of the operations at that time was called what? Kurukshetra. So Kshetra means a field. So Kurukshetra was the name of the battlefield, which is still there in India by the way and it is considered a holy place. It was also a holy place in those days because it was a field where, which, where uh, it was a place of pilgrimage where people used to go and they live also and perform all kinds of rituals and, and penance and therefore it was in a way a holy place also. So it is called Dharmakshetra. A place or a field where dharma or the, uh, the virtue is practiced, where righteousness is practiced, or where penance and austerities and worship are performed. It was that kind of a field and known as Kurukshetra. So he is asking, in this battlefield called Kurukshetra, which is also Dharmakshetra, meaning actually a place, it has a certain atmosphere there. Atmosphere of certain piety or certain uh, uh, Purity, certain virtue, austerity, penance. So, in that kind of a battlefield, Samavetaha, Yoyutsavaha, Mahamakaha, Pandavas Seva, Dhritarashtra, the king is asking that my sons and the Pandavas, both of them have assembled there with a desire to fight the battle. Kim Akurvata Sanjaya. Hey Sanjaya, please tell me what did they do? The Pandavas and the Kauravas, with their armies assembled in this field called Kurukshetra with a desire to fight the battle. Having assembled there, Hey Sanjaya, please tell me what did they do? The blind king is asking this. It is symbolic also that the king is blind. Blindness always associated with what? Ignorance, darkness. A blind is a person who cannot see anything. Everything is dark for him. And darkness symbolizes ignorance. And he is born blind. Therefore, he is suffering from darkness of ignorance from the very birth. So, Dhritarashtra also symbolizes his individual. Who is born blind, meaning who is born ignorant. And Sanjaya, the minister. samyat jayati The etymological meaning of the word Sanjaya is one who has a mastery over himself. One who has gained a victory over all his lower ego and the passions. He is called Sanjaya. One who has under control all his sense organs. He is called Sanjaya. And therefore Sanjaya is the one who is actually and also Sanjaya has a special clairvoyance. Meaning, he could see what is happening at a distance and he could hear what was happening in the battlefield. So he has a special eye. Not only he has the two eyes, but he has a special third eye also, he may say. Not a physical eye, but the eye of the mind. Like the teacher, who has a special eye of knowledge called Gryana Chakram. And so a teacher, the wise man also, can see with his eyes what we can see. At the same time, with his mind's eye, he can see something which our this our mortal eyes cannot see. And he can see what is behind every name and form, the very content or essence of the name and form, the truth which which pervades everywhere, the truth also the teacher can see. So Sanjay, the minister who reports his Bhagavad Gita, symbolizes a teacher who is in the enlightened being. So teacher is actually giving instruction to the student who can be compared to a blind man because he is born ignorant. And the purpose therefore here is to remove that blindness of ignorance of the student. (coughs) This is how the first question is asked and then Dhritarashtra does not speak again. This is only question that he asks and that's all and then he listens. (coughs) And then Sanjaya the minister starts describing the scene of the battlefield. First of all, he describes the great warriors who are assembled on both the sides and builds up a whole atmosphere. How the whole atmosphere was tense. How there was a, it was an atmosphere with great tension, great uh, excitement. And that whole excitement and tension and that whole spirit of battle and all that goes with it is first built by Sanjaya when he describes the various warriors assembled in on both the sides. On the side of Pandava as well as on the side of Kaurava. Now who is the most important person on the side of Pandava? Arjuna. Arjuna is the one of the greatest archers. So he is riding the chariot and who is driving his chariot? Lord Krishna. That's most important so Lord Krishna who is driving the chariot of Arjuna and the whole, the great, all the warriors in the army on the side of Pandava, on the opposite side are the Kauravas with their great army and they also had many great warriors. So uh, Sanjaya describes them and says that the first declaration of war was made by the Kaurava, their grandsire, their, the, the person who was the oldest most experienced and most powerful, and who was the leader of the Kaurava army, his name was Bhishma, Bhishma Pitamaha, and who is the leader of the Kaurava army, he blew the conch, and thus the war was declared. As soon as Bhishma Pitamaha blew the conch, all the warriors and the whole army of the Kauravas also started blowing different conches, and there were so many war instruments, battle instruments, like so many drums were there and so many pipe instruments were there and all of them started blaring all of a sudden and a great noise was created by the Kauravas. And when this happened, at that time, Sanjaya describes that here is a chariot with four white horses. So Arjuna is riding a great chariot. You may call it divine chariot. But this chariot was given to him by the gods because he had helped them in certain battle and therefore this chariot was actually given to him by the the fire god Agni because Arjuna along with Lord Krishna had once burned the whole Khandavana, the whole forest in order to feed the fire because he was these rishis had performed so many rituals and offered so much ghee in that that the fire had indigestion and he says now how to remove my indigestion and therefore, So, Arjuna came to the rescue. So, he said, okay, you can burn the whole forest. And therefore, there was a whole forest called Khandava. And fire burned that. And all sorts of things happened. And then, uh, so there was a great battle. And Arjuna and Lord Krishna, they fought the battle, helped this fire. And from there, that's why the God fire was very, fire God was very happy. Agni, and gave him this divine chariot. And so, Arjuna had a great, beautiful chariot. And beautiful horses, four horses. And he had a bow, which was also very famous. The name was Gandiva. That was the famous bow of Arjuna. He was very famous for it. And uh, very proud of it also. So this Lord Krishna, who is a charioteer, Arjuna, who is riding the chariot, with four white horses, that now Sanja starts describing. How the Pandavas responded? When the Kauravas, Bhishma Pitama blew the conch and declared the battle and when all the Kauravas in excitement also blew and blared their battle instruments in response here Lord Krishna who is a charioteer and Arjuna both of them also blew their conches one after the other and then the rest of the warriors in the Pandava army also blew their conches and their battle instruments and then was created such a tremendous sound that reverberated from earth and the heavens. And it almost rent the hearts of all these Kauravas apart. So, this is how now the total excitement of the battlefield is, is built up. Pravṛtte Shastra sampade. At that time, the Shastra sampade, meaning the firing of the weapons, was going to begin from both the sides. Arjuna, who is the commander-in-chief of the Pandavas, not really theoretically commander-in-chief the was Drastudyamna, but Arjuna was the most important one here. He lifted his bow in order to prepare for the battle, and at that time, at that crucial time, before Arjuna actually fired the first shot, something, some idea occurs to him, and he requests his charioteer, Lord Krishna, to take his chariot, between the two armies. Arjuna asked this question Rushi Kesham Tadavakyam Ida maha mahi In fact Arjuna seeing the Kaurav army was highly excited and all ready to fight and he lifted his bow also but before commencing the fight just a thought occurred in his mind to survey both these armies. Rushi Tadavakyam idamahamahipate Senayorubhayormadhe mechudha. Hey Achuda, O oh Lord, please place my chariot between the two armies. Why do you want the chariot to be placed in the, between the two armies? Yavadetanirikshayam oh Yoddukamanvastitan Kairmaya sahayodhavyam Asmindrana samudyame O Lord, I want to observe finally not that he did not know who was in the in both the armies. He knew that generals know everything. But still, I want to have a final look at the strategy of the Kauravas and all the great very warriors who are on the side of the enemy. As well as the warriors who are on our side, I want to just have a final look. Just to have a strategy in my mind. And I want I want to know who are the people with whom I have to fight this battle. Those people who assembled here with a desire to fight, I want to observe them. Just take a look at them. I want to see all those fellows who assembled here to favor this Durubuddhi, this Duryodhana and this Kauravas, who are wicked-minded people. And still I find that such a large army is assembled in their favor, it was very surprising and very frustrating also. Because Duryodhana, the Kaurava leader, was known to a wicked person. And he had exhibited all kinds of wickedness in order to try to kill these Pandavas or try to harass them as much as possible. He had usurped their kingdom by inviting them. That In fact, at one point in time, Pandavas possessed half the kingdom and Kauravas possessed half the kingdom because both of them were cousins. And this Duryodhana invited the eldest of the Pandava, Yudhishthira to play a game of dice. And it was in those days a custom among the Kshatriyas, the kings, the warrior class, that if somebody invites you to play a game of dice, then you must respond. And therefore were Yudhishthira responded and he agreed also to play the game of dice. And it was a dice, a game of dice in which there was a very heavy betting. And so they started betting. But these fellows were much skilled in playing the game of dice. And they were loaded dice also. And they knew exactly how to play. And slowly and slowly the Rishra the Pandava started losing this game. And he kept on play I mean, offering in the bet all kinds of possessions he had, the whole kingdom. Including his wife. Everything was betted. And he lost everything. To the extent that there was a condition that if we lost in the final game, they would have to relinquish the whole kingdom and go to forest in exile for twelve years and one more year, the thirteenth year, they must remain incognito, meaning they they should remain uh, without identification. If in that one year, if they are somehow spotted or identified, then the condition was that another twelve years of this exile, they will have to suffer. So this is how they were cheated. They were cheated out of their kingdom. They were cheated out of their possessions. And they were sent in exile. And even when they were in exile, this Duryodhana kept on harassing them again and again. And so these Pandavas were highly harassed. And therefore, they were in a way, preparing to take the revenge. But still, they were willing to settle peacefully. And they came back after the exile and with all the conditions were satisfied, and requested for their share of the kingdom and Duryodhana refused. I am not going to... No kingdom belongs to you, you already lost it. Where is your share? He says, you know. And people reasoned with him that, look, you have cheated them. And then also, after that they have already fulfilled their condition of going to exile. And so now, you must return their kingdom because they have already fulfilled their condition. This is nothing doing. And so then the Pandavas said, okay, even if you if you cannot give us the half the kingdom, we are five brothers. Give us just the five villages. That'll be enough. So nothing doing? Give us five houses in one village, okay? No way. Give us one house with five rooms. Not at all, Duryodhana says, you will not get the land, soil equal to the tip of a pin you won't even get that much soil, you will have to fight if you want anything and that is how he challenged them and all the peace efforts were frustrated and that is how the battle uh, had to take place and thus Arjuna along with other Pandavas had come to the battlefield with a desire to fight and that very desire is expressed here, it is very important. What is important is Arjuna on his own Decided to fight the battle. So he was all prepared to fight the battle. He had almost lifted his bow and before striking the first arrow, he just as a final strategic look, he requested the charioter Lord Krishna to place his army, be, place his chariot between the two armies and declared the intention, Yotsimana navekshayam, so that I can observe and I can take a final look at all these stupid, all these crooked fellows who have assembled here to in to favor this wicked-minded Duryodhana. And I want to see them. Who are the fellows with whom I have to fight? So these words in the first chapter clearly reveal Arjuna's own resolve that he was all ready to fight this battle and win. So, and Lord Krishna follows the instruction of Arjuna and places the chariot right between the two armies. And then what happens? That we'll discuss tomorrow. <coughs> om purna madaspurna migam purna purnasya purnamadaya purnameva vashishyade om shante 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 shankaram shankaracharyam keshavam Badarayanam Sutra bhashya kruta vande bhagavanta puna puna ishvara guru ratneti murti bhedavibhagine vyoma vadyakta dehaya dakshina murtaye namaha om shantishantishanti Hari Om Shri Gurubhyo Nam Hari Om